Hey, people. How you doing? Um, trying an experiment today as we're slowly approaching National Podcast Day. Um, the experiment today is a pod a day. Can I do it? I think so. So yesterday, it's probably going to end up being mini pods, but because I'm doing them on the way to work, it's the only time I can get these done. But um, yesterday was a very special day. It wasn't to com- commemorate anything. It's just uh, we had the opportunity. Uh, <laughs> I just got a text message. Someone's bringing me in burgers for lunch. That's awesome. Um, what, um, damn it. Yesterday was a special day. Yes. Okay. Let's get back to it. Uh, got a sitter for seven hours, which is a monumental achievement when you're a parent. If you're a parent, you'll understand. Um, anyway, um, we went out on a date. We did some shopping, uh, cause I needed some stuff. Not very exciting for date day. Yes, not very romantic, but my wife loves that. So that was good. And then uh, we followed up. Oh, but we started out, we actually went to Indigo. And uh, I'm not sure if you Americans know what uh, Indigo is or other countries if you know what Indigo is. But it is a originally Canadian book chain that spun out of Smith Books and Cole's Books and W.H. Smith. Um, anyway, uh, we are avid readers, my wife and I, and my wife actually has a lifetime membership card that was granted to her from her love of books. Um, a lot of the programs have got plum rewards, which is one of the programs they had. They had a frequent buyer sort of thing program before and you had to, to pay to get a membership. And, uh, anyway, uh, we went there and we decided to go shopping. It's one of our date night favorites that we go. We go there. We start together. We look at a few books together. And then we uh, proceed from that to splitting off and finding your own finds and then meeting back up together. Generally, we're having a coffee while we're doing this. So we meet up a few times on the book search. and we It's usually to find new stuff. So one of the things that we did was we decided, okay, time to buy a new journal. Um, now journals are usually what I use to, you know, track down my ideas, or to write, jot down my ideas. So I bought this really great journal because I have to start coming up with, um, I'm going to call it a catchphrase. I, I know that's not what it is. But uh, I had to come up with the tagline for my book. And this uh, sprouted out of, uh, there, was a, there was an author, I don't remember his name, he was in the store, and uh, he was talking his book to us. He was, he was telling us, you know, oh, hey, uh, this is what it's about, uh, da, 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 da. There is this long explanation about what it was about. 
And in that moment, I realized I do exactly the same thing when I'm describing what I'm working on. You got this long explanation for what the book's about. It's basically not spoiling the book, but providing too many of the minu- too many details, too much minutiae as to what the book's about. When you're trying to sell a book, you know, you, you look at the back of the book, the back cover of the book, and say, hey, this is what the book's about, and that's what, you know, gets us to pick up the book. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the minutiae of it is stuff that you discover as you're reading the book. And I realized that his pitch is very, very similar to my own pitch, which was wanting to show off all the little details of the book within, you know, the details within the book, and then getting lost about what the book's actually about. How do you draw people in? This is where you have to approach your novel as a marketing, from a marketing perspective. Um, excuse me, I got a frog in my throat, I guess, today. So you gotta, you got to figure out how to market your book. You don't want to give away too much. The minutia is irrelevant in the pitch of the book. I mean, that's something they're going to discover when they read it and go, oh, wow, this is great. You know, I, I like all these little details uh, in there. I mean, that's part of your writing style. That's not how to sell a book. You can have a secondary description of the book. I mean, you can have a description of the book that describes, okay, this is what the book's about. Um, what happens when a man finds he's got uh, nowhere left to go when everyone has left him and he's got to prove his innocence. That's the catch line to a book. A second catch line to the book, which often you see, which is basically a review of the writer's prowess, prowess, word of the day, would be uh, a stunning uh, debut with lots of intrigue and mystery, where you're describing tools that the writer uses. Uh, But that, I mean, generally that's what someone, you want someone to describe you. As a writer, you want them to say, oh, he's a good mystery writer. He's really good at character detail. You don't want to sell that. You don't want to use that as your selling point when you're talking about yourself. Um, I mean, this guy, this guy wasn't doing exactly that, but I've done that. I'm like, well, you know, I added, you know, I'll say, well, I've added a lot of little, uh, little bits of detail here where I'm describing. Blah, blah, blah. No, they'll discover that when they read it. You need to draw them in. So, the notebook, let's get back to the notebook. I wanted to buy a notebook so I could start writing out what are the key elements of what the book's about. Entry, spent, action. But what starts the book out? I, I think a good way to write a uh, description of your and this is hard. This this also goes along with naming the book. We've spent a lot of time naming our band, Dome. And it was a hit. We kicked it around like you wouldn't believe. Also, the naming of, of the songs. It's the same process. If you're doing a creative process, uh, and you've got the, the, the work is there, the song is there, or the art is there, or whatever, naming it is actually very important. Because a name or description has to convey everything 
and one paragraph or one word or one sentence or one title, that's really, really difficult. So I wanted to get a notebook, so I'm going to just keep writing uh, book descriptions, what to go with. Ideally, <clears throat> if you can captivate your book or capture your book in one sentence, that's awesome. That means you have a great idea. In your idea of the book, it's a completely original idea. If it's you know, it's not a murder mystery. Like you know, the idea is, uh, you know, what happens if the Nazis won World War II? That's an idea. You can use that to sell a book. But when you're writing a book that's general fiction or general suspense or general whatever. You got to be careful because what you're writing about has probably been written about before. Not in the way you've done it because your book is yours. But keep in mind there's going to be similar uh, ideas that are across. If you're writing horror books, uh, a woman alone in the dark must, you know, fight her way to the light. It's a good catch line, actually. But been done before. It's not enough. You know, you're, you're seeing a plot that's been repeated a bunch of times. Uh, a killer loose in the town of blah, blah, blah. That's not enough. That's It's, it's enough of a, of a start. So that's what I found with this guy. So here's, here's the interesting thing is I, I'm thinking the publisher is the one who wrote the description on the back of the book. So as he was talking, I actually flipped the book around and read the description. So he was talking to my wife and I'm reading the description on the back. I'm like, okay, interesting. This is what the book's about. This is not what he described. He's describing what happens. So basically, I, I don't want to spoil it and I, I, you know, I don't want to hurt the author's feelings and I don't want to give anything away. But basically, the idea was, how do I do this without spoiling? The idea was that someone was going through a life change and it was triggered by something. I guess that's the best way of saying it. Someone, someone uncovers something and it leads to a life change that they make and they go on this epic journey. That's probably a good way to describe it. But what he described was more details about the main character she was, what her cultural background was, where she was going to, some of the, and then describing some of the struggles that she'd have to go through. Those are all story details that you will uncover as you're reading the book. It's not a good way to sell the book. I think if you're having an in-depth discussion about it, I think that's a good way, but I think you need to start with the, with the, the sell line, with what this is a book about A, go, you've got three sentences to, to, to trap someone in. So that's what I'm going to be working on. So just like, um, I'll probably have a very good example of, uh, of this. I don't, know, I don't know if any of you guys have listened to the Dome uh, debut album or not. That's my band. That is no longer together. But if you listen to a song like Pinprick, um, 
which the original version of Pinprick was, I, I decided that, okay, I'm going to write a song that's about this. It's, you know, I was, I was very pointed in what I was creating. This is what the song's going to do. This is what the song's about. It's a story about a character and something that he's going through. And how even, you know, despite how hard he tries, the same thing keeps happening over and over. That was my initial intent, intent going in. And when you write your book, that is probably the same thing. I want to write about a guy who's being chased by the feds, who's, you know, barely one step ahead of them as he's trying to uncover a mystery. That might be your original intent going into the book, but once you've written the book, that might be a plot device that might be uh, a small part of the book, but the bigger part of the book might be as he discovers who he is and the truth behind his his uh, sham marriage. You know, that might be what it's about, uncovering the truth about his sham marriage. It might not be that he's on the run from the FBI. Do you understand where I'm going? So once you write the book, and once you have it done, your initial crux of what the book's about, it may not be what the book's about at all. Really. It may be the meat uh, of, of the book, but it might not be the actual content of the book, or what the reader is going to see. It may instead be sprinkles of flavor in the book, as opposed to what the book's actually about. Does that make sense? I hope so. So, the idea is, when he was selling me, trying to sell me on the book and buying the book, I ended up not buying the book. Uh, because, well, I mean, it's not my kind of thing, right? I mean, every book... You could probably read a book about anything and enjoy it, about any subject matter. But it was subject matter I could relate to, I had no understanding of. And, I mean, he didn't lose me on the sell. It wouldn't have been something I would have bought anyway. But on someone that was a bit more interested in that style of book, he might have lost some of those uh, readers as well. Start with the pitch line. If you're doing a... Now this, hey, I'm, I'm the biggest offender of doing exactly what he does or what he did um, and not doing it as effectively as possible I mean he did raise some interesting points and maybe as a writer I'm like well that's interesting well that's interesting well that's interesting but it wasn't selling me on the book it was right it was selling me on technique yeah that's probably the best way to describe it so anyway um Ended up not buying the book. So that was the first part of her date night. Uh, second part of the date night. I still got a couple minutes before I get to work here. So the second part of the date night, other than the shopping, was uh, we went to Across the Board Cafe. Our server, Ben, was great. He picked three games for us based on our game preferences. Three games we never tried before. We only got a chance to try two of them. Uh, you can see those in my Instagram post, the titles, the publishers of the two games. Uh, I will provide reviews of both of those uh, probably in the next episode. But, uh, yeah, man. That was the night. We actually uh, had the... So I guess I can talk about the, the food. 
the food was good. The food is kind of, I don't want to say if I, I don't want to call it light fare, but it's more cafe food. So, I mean, yeah, they have a burger there, but I mean, it was a lot of a kind of interesting vegan and vegetarian things, which is good. But I'm going to be honest, I was pretty hungry when I left. But um, the desserts were great. We tried two different desserts. The desserts were amazing. They actually have espresso that actually tastes like espresso there. Sorry, I got spoiled on my uh, trips to Portugal with having uh, European espresso, which is not the same as Canadian, or is an espresso that's made here. The espresso was quite good. Um... Uh, the service was good. Um, I can't say enough about across the board. It's a place that I haven't gone to enough times, but some of the best, our favorite games that we, that we play, specifically um, Splendor, came out of that one trip we had there. And it's fun to go because they'll they'll actually what they what, what you do is just say okay, well can we recommend some games. Is there any games that you like? So you can say well. You know, like for example, my wife and I, well, we play Splendor all the time, which if you haven't tried it, you have to go try it. It's amazing. It's possibly the best game ever made. Uh, specifically for two-player, it works really, really well, but it works up to four. Um, and so we also play Pandemic, which is, as you know, which is one of my favorite all-time games as well. Uh, Ticket to Ride, another one that we like quite a bit. So, you know, you, you describe the games you play, and then you're like, oh, okay. So then they go back, they'll... You know, be sure to pick only two-player games, if there's only two people. And games that kind of follow the same scheme, I guess. Um, interestingly enough, uh, the one game ended up being uh, the game that was made after the game we tried last time. Which I think was called Phantom of the Opera. I think it's a French game, actually. Um, and uh, the game we played was... Uh, Mr. Jack, which was uh, not a sequel, but another game from the same developer, um, which was really great. Really enjoyed it. Probably going to go back and play it again. Uh, might even go buy it. Like, it was that good. The other game we played was called Planet, which used a, uh, a polyhedron, uh, I think it was not a 20 sided. 10-sided dice? No, 20-sided dice. 12-sided dice? I can't remember. But basically, you have a... It looks like a giant dice with magnetic plates on it. And uh, you pick up cards throughout the game. And then every turn, you're going to place a card onto your... Uh, I think it's an 8-sided dice, actually. Anyway, um, and you, you build an ecosystem on your own individual planet, which is your big giant dice, and the, everything's magnetic, so, you know, you take it off the cable, you attach it to your polyhedron, for lack of a better word, and, um, and that's what you get. It sticks on your thing, and you're building an ecosystem on your dice. So every turn, you're adding to it, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to make the most the best ecosystem you can that will attract the most type of most types of animals. So every round you're building your your dice up and 
you're seeing if it's attractive enough to bring on the animals that are the cards on the, on the board. On the table, I guess, not on the board. There's no board for this game. So, for example, you might have uh, an animal that loves the tundra, so loves the ice-cold region, but it really likes that if it's attached to Greenland. <clears throat> so you're going to be looking to build, uh, put a plate on your on your dice that will that will match what they're looking for. And if you have uh, if your ecosystem has more than your opponent's ecosystem meeting that specific criteria, that person gets the card, and uh, you get that as a point. And the person that collects the most amount of animal cards wins. So as you're building it, you can actually bridge uh, one region of your globe to another region of your globe. So you might, if you have uh, someone that loves, like I said, again, the tundra, touching Greenland, if you have the most amounts of tundra that touch Greenland over multiple regions of your globe, and you can chain them up together to, to get you more points, then, you know, oh, well, they, you know, that particular animal uh, wants to be on your ecosystem, wants to be in your ecosystem, so you're attracting the animals to your ecosystem. Very genius design. Um, I think we probably needed to play one more time to really get the gist of the game, at least I did. My wife got it right away and kicked my butt. But I, I think it's one that you want to play a few times to really see if you, you love the game or not. The The design of the game was ingenious. I've never seen anything like this before. Incredibly uh, well-crafted, original idea, and easy to play, uh, and easy to learn. So hats off to that. I can't remember the maker because I'm driving my car and I can't look that up at the moment, but I'll try to put uh, show notes to indicate who made this particular game. Uh, the other one, Mr. Jack, was a two-player only game. Some of you are playing the detective. Or one side's playing the detective, the other side is playing Mr. Jack, who's trying to hide in plain view. <clears throat> um, he's trying to hide in plain view and not be found. And his real identity is one of the suspects. And um, oh, I think we're going to describe this one a little bit more at length because I'm, I really enjoy this one. Anyway, see you guys on the flip side.